Hello, I'm Fiona Gordley, editor of the BMJ, and I'm delighted that we have a conversation now with uh, Callum Semple, OBE, who is Professor of Outbreak Medicine and Child Health at the University of Liverpool. He's a member of SAGE, an independent academic on the government advisory uh, group SAGE, and is involved in the evaluation of the testing that is happening in Liverpool. Callum, many thanks indeed for joining us. Well, good morning and thanks for speaking. Um, can you just give us a bit of background to how the testing in Liverpool came about? Certainly. So, as you know, uh, we're in the middle of a public health emergency. And when um, the Liverpool city region went into enhanced measures, there was a request from public health within that region uh, that should there be an opportunity to engage in any pilot activity, then please could Liverpool be considered first. And so because of that, when the opportunity for mass asymptomatic testing came about, Liverpool was then chosen as one of the pilot sites. Great. And I mean, you'll be aware, as, as many of the people listening will be, of the concerns and criticisms that Liverpool's programme has been subject to. Um, I mean, things such as which test was chosen, why was it chosen, is this screening or not, what about... Um, the opportunity costs and potential harms involved and um, what were the public told and in addition whether this has indeed impacted on infection rates if Liverpool very happily is down in tier two uh, while Manchester might be a comparable city is in tier three uh, so I mean ta- this is really the, the, the issues I'd, I'd like us to tackle in this conversation and perhaps we could begin with that one first is your sense of the impact that this has had on the actual infection rates in Liverpool? Well, we know with the benefit of hindsight that Tier 3 brought Liverpool into a plateau of activity. So COVID cases were rising dramatically. Liverpool had um, far more cases than it had in Wave 1. And this this is in... uh, October, uh, October, early November. And the tier three lockdown, with the benefit of hindsight, we can see that we saw a plateauing of cases and then it started to fall as lockdown came into place. So we, we're never going to be able to say that mass asymptomatic testing had a citywide effect of driving down cases that it was just because of mass asymptomatic testing. And that will not that will not be the focus of our evaluation. I can tell you that straight away because that clearly would be tr- would be tried. But what we have seen is a complete change in the demographic of people that are involved in testing. Previously, the uptake of PCR for symptomatic people and in fact asymptomatic people too because there was ways of getting into PCR testing for asymptomatics. Previously that was focused mainly on the um, higher affluence areas and very poor uptake from areas of greatest deprivation. And instead now by bringing in the local testing sites we're getting uptake of up to levels of 60% 60% in some of our most deprived wards. And that's that's very different to the picture we were seeing with PCR. 
And remember, this is a virus that discriminates. It discriminates against the frail and the elderly, but it also discriminates against people that live in areas of deprivation and multiple occupation. And that's where we're looking to see an effect of mass asymptomatic testing. It's, it's getting into these hard-to-reach areas and identifying cases and breaking transmission. Um, one of the potential criticisms is that, uh, given the fact that testing is not something just in isolation that's going to make an impact, the thing that will matter most is what people then do as a result of the test. Uh, and one of the concerns is that because of the relative lack of support for people who might need to isolate, that actually those who uh, would find that more difficult won't turn up for the testing. Is that something that you have seen? Yeah, it is a concern. And Liverpool is not responsible for national policy on the support packages that have been put in place for people that isolate. Um, we do have the support payment of £500, and we've, we've sought to have some variation on that to, to allow those that are being isolated in addition to who would have been isolated otherwise had there not been a pilot. Um, and unfortunately, that, that support has not uh, transpired from central government, but that's, that's their decision. There was a concern, I think, that the system would be gamed. We also would like to have seen greater support for those on zero-hour con zero contracts. Uh, but again, these are, not, these are not matters in our control. So instead, what we have done locally in Liverpool is identified local call, local telephone call lines to help people maximise what support is available for them. And that, that's what we can do locally. But I absolutely agree that, that there's no point finding cases unless you can support people to isolate. And we are, we are evaluating the differences between people that isolate following PCR and following mass asymptomatic testing. And we're acutely aware that the populations are different because we're taking the test down to, um, we're, we're trying to cover roughly, we're covering roughly 85% of the population of Liverpool within a 15 minute walk of their front door. And that, that's how close we're taking the testing sites to people. Um, you'll be aware, Callum, that some of the concerns are about the accuracy of the test and, and the fact that with low sensitivity, we're going to get a lot of false negatives. Uh, how, how, how has Liverpool managed that problem? So the issue about the, the, false, the, the false negatives issue is a concern. And we've got to remember that we're using this test to identify cases as best we can, but also to do mitigate some activities in high-risk settings. So whereas before, a healthcare worker working in a care home could be PCR tested once a week. We can do lateral flow twice a week. And the lateral flow test result will come back within 30 minutes, allowing us to act on that result. And we can repeat it. We could theoretically we could repeat it daily, but in, in practicality, we'll re 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 repeat it twice weekly. And that helps in, in the false negative issue. There is some data to show an association between being positive in lateral flow and having a higher viral load in the analyte. And that does relate, the higher viral load in the analyte does relate to a concept of infectiousness in tissue culture. So there is a biological plausibility to a positive lateral flow test 
identifying those most likely to be infectious. But I'll be the first to admit that it's, it's not a perfect test in any way. But then neither is, neither is PCR. There's an, there's an inefficiency, remember, between getting to the PCR because you've got to take the swab from the subject. And that inefficiency is typically quoted at, at 0.75. So again, you'll be missing a quarter of the, of the subjects with that swab as well. So none of this is perfect, but where you're mitigating in a risk environment, the lateral flow, we think, is probably going to be better than nothing. And again, that's part of this evaluation. And those who get a positive lateral flow test then go on to have a PCR. Um, so, so the lateral flow test is really capturing a proportion of positive cases, potentially positive cases, and then having that to some extent confirmed by PCR. Have I got that right? You have, and it's been tricky to get this organised because of the practical challenges around PCR testing, and they go into a national, a national laboratory. So what we've got now is a system that when a, when a person gets a positive test on lateral flow, the te text message giving them that news includes the link into how to book their confirmatory PCR test. And we would, we would expect, um, based on the case instance in Liverpool at the moment, that possibly uh, one in two of the positives to one in three in the positives are likely to be false positives. And we mitigate that by following up with the PCR test. So everyone that gets a positive lateral flow should be getting a PCR test to follow up on that. And how are those two sets of data brought together? And one of the concerns has been not being clear how much marginal benefit the lateral flow test brings in terms of the ultimate harvest, if you like, of positive, positive uh, outcomes, positive tests, uh, and bringing those two sets of data together so you can actually link the positive lateral flow with a positive PCR. That was an initial challenge, and it has now been overcome. And the data does flow back into our local um, Combined Intelligence for Public Health Action platform, we call it CIFA. It's something quite unique to Liverpool. And that's allowed, allowed us to pair up the, res the results for the PCR tests and the lateral flow tests. It's also been able to uh, allowed us to look at the patterns of testing right down to lower super output level. And one of the things I'd really like to talk about is, is uh, penetration of testing into these different areas. Please, please do, into, into the different, more hard-to-reach areas. So we've, when you look at uptake of PCR testing, which on the whole has been for symptomatic people, there's a very steep gradient between PCR test uptake and socioeconomic status. And what we've done with the mass asymptomatic testing is we, we, in fact, initially we made a mistake. We, initially, the, 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 the testing units were just dispersed on a geographical coverage area trying to cover most of the city by geography. And what we've changed to is locating the mass test, the, the, the pop-up units and the mobile units, and locating them according to population density. So that about 85% of the Liverpool population can now walk to one of these units. And this means that we've combated this inequity of access 
to testing. Now, the PCR testing typically require people to either drive to a center and also have to have access to the internet to be able to book onto that system. Whereas if they walk, they don't need a car, and if they don't have the technology, there's tablets and, uh, available uh, and staff that know how to use them. So we're, we, we, if there's one huge success that I really want to emphasize is that we've learned how to change the demographic, uh, change who we're accessing and reach, reach into those parts of the city where the virus has discriminated against people. And that, that, that's, that's really the learning that's coming out of that. And, and this is a pilot. We're trying to learn how to do this. Thanks, Callum. Can I just go back, if I may, to the people who test negative on the lateral flow? Because half of positive cases on average will be missed. And um, those people, if they're just told to go on about their business, there's a, a sense that they may, because they've had a negative result, be less conscious of having to take the other public health measures, social distancing, hand washing, etc. How are you managing that communication? Okay. So the messaging is very clear that everyone still has to stick to the rules. And we have two flavours to the testing that's going on in Liverpool, as you probably picked up. We've got the, the mass asymptomatic testing, that's the sort of population based activity. And the messaging there is very clear. If they're, if they're negative, they still have to adhere to the rules. The other flavor is our systematic, meaningful, asymptomatic repeat testing, SMART. And that's where we're targeting testing to release key workers from quarantine and to enable safe visiting to care homes and potentially prisons shortly, and also test to protect, where we're testing the healthcare workers in high consequence settings. So if we go through these groups, if you get a negative test in these groups, for starters, it's really good news. It's, it's, it's enabling activities, which the community has been screaming out for, such as visiting their loved ones in care homes. But they're only going to be doing so in an enhanced infection prevention control environment. And the rules for care home visiting will be that they'll be tested at a walk-up centre within 24 hours. They'll be tested again as they enter the, the care home. They will have to put on PPE and gloves and a mask. And then they'll be able to visit their relative and they'll still not be skin-to-skin -skin contact. So even if we do miss a positive case coming into that environment, we're still applying the highest levels of infection prevention control. But we will be stopping half of the cases coming into that environment. And the ones that we stop will be those that are most likely to be highly infectious. And we think that's worthwhile. And we, we, we engaged with the care home um, owners and uh, representatives of families associations for families that have uh, that have their relatives in care homes. We did this last week and encouraged them to look at the absolute risks. And we shared with them 
the issues around sensitivity and specificity it was it was it was really interesting explaining that in lay people's terms and giving them an example of a thousand visitors and then of that thousand in Liverpool how many were likely to be positive based on the current data how many would be picked up by the test how many would slip through the net and then if they wore PPE what was the risk and they voted unanimously to accept the the use of lateral flow, albeit as an imperfect test, as it did enhance the safety and protection of their their loved ones and their community. So, I mean, the messaging around this is absolutely vital, and we are going to great lengths to to get that messaging right. And I think we've got it right for the care homes. It's going to be really interesting when we do it with the teachers and the the emergency services and how they they react to this as well. So thanks, Callum. That's really helpful. So you're making a distinction there between mass asymptomatic testing of the population and smart, systematic, meaningful asymptomatic repeat testing of specific groups, so care home uh, settings and healthcare and, and, and education settings. Have I got that right? That, that's, that's right. And the smart falls into three areas. We've got the, the test to enable, and that's the, the safe enabling of care home visiting and potentially prison visiting as well. We've got the test to protect, which is our healthcare workers and social care workers who are working in high consequence settings um, so that they can be tested twice a week. And that's that's actually a logical extension of what's happening in hospitals or, or will be happening in hospitals quite shortly. And the third element is the test to release. And this is quite exciting. This is using serial testing on a daily basis following a point of contact and quite sophisticated modeling around this showing that if you in theory the modeling is obviously theoretical but in theory if, if um, you're, you're a contact and you're identified as such then serial testing with lateral flow up to seven days after the point of contact should allow that person to remain in their role in the community without having to quarantine. And that's a very important part of this evaluation. That that also will be followed up with a PCR test on the last day. And in, in fact, the even the healthcare, the, um, the, the test to protect aspect will have a PCR test in there as well. So we are doing comparative work to ensure that we're uh, to, to try and identify what proportion of cases are being missed by lateral flow. And Callum, the, the, the phrase mass asymptomatic testing is, is the, the phrase you're using to describe the population element here. Others would call this screening. Can you explain why you don't see this as screening and therefore why it hasn't had to go through, if you like, the national screening um, bodies and, and, and the informed consent that would normally go with the screening programme? Yeah, I think, I think this touches on two issues. One is our position on this, but also some of the issues around collaboration rather than conflict between academic public health and public health in action. And I hope we get the chance to talk about the latter at some point too. The, our position is that this is a public health intervention. We're dealing with transmissible disease, which if left unchecked without interventions without regulations, we would be seeing exponential growth with a R0 of three. 
And we've got an opportunity to evaluate targeted testing and call it case finding, if you like, by learning how to put testing sites into the community, how best to access these hard to reach parts of the community and then break transmission chains. And our position is that that is quite different from a dispersed disease such as breast cancer or cervical cancer, which is non-communicable and which often has a lag time between case identification and consequence, which allows you to get ahead of that diagnosis and make a difference for that patient. The, the situation with infectious disease such as this is that the consequence is somewhat immediate both for the health of that individual but also for the health of that economy. So we're, we're seeing this as a way of getting Liverpool's health and economy back on its feet. And it's, it's not simply about the individual patient benefit and the cost-benefit ratio to that of the, of the overall programme to that individual patient. This is about a population-based approach and an economy-based approach. And the public, health, the public health team that we're working with see this very clearly as not simply a health issue only, it's a health and economy issue. So I think, I think we're in a position where we're never going to get agreement between the, the two factions that have now developed. Um, but I've thought about this and I'm quite comfortable that, that this is not the same as population screening. I think this is quite a different, quite a different approach. And I think it's public health in action. Um, I'm very comfortable that we're doing a service evaluation. We're not doing a primary research protocol. And on that evaluation, we talked earlier about has this impacted significantly on the infection rates in Liverpool? And, and you're saying to some extent we can't, we won't be able to tell that, but it may tell us things about how to get into different communities within a city like Liverpool. But I understand this was set up at pace. Uh, you know, you, you were given a short time in which to initiate an evaluation on top of a, a government decision, effectively a policy decision to in, do this in Liverpool. Have I, have I understood that right? And, and, and how, how have you gone about trying to capture as many lessons from this as we possibly can for other cities? Yeah, I think the period of time from first getting wind that this was coming um, to literally troops on the streets, to use the word um, somewhat provocatively, was seven days. And the, it, the invitation for the University of Liverpool to be involved in providing academic support to that evaluation occurred in that interval. So we've really been co-constructing the evaluation plan along with the military support and with DHSC who are providing the testing and the, the data infrastructure that provides the results back to us. We have great behavioural scientists in Liverpool as well. So we're bringing together Ian Buchan's combined intelligence platform for health, public health action, the CIFA. We've got our psychologists and behavioural scientists in Liverpool. They're coming together 
to support the evaluation. And externally, we're getting support from other experts in the field. Um, they, together, we're developing an evaluation plan. And that's got these different streams. We've got the, the biology, as in how is the test performing in our population, in our real world, real world environment. We've got the behavioral aspects as to does having a negative test make people behave badly or does having a, a, a positive PCR test result in a different isolation behavior to having a positive lateral flow test? Because these are, these are vitally important pieces of information. And trying to pull that together into an evaluation plan um, is quite a challenge. And that's what, that's what we hope to be able to help happen. Because, because otherwise, remember, this is going to go ahead regardless because it's a policy decision to push out mass asymptomatic testing. It's simply that we in Liverpool have got the opportunity to conduct the pilot and conduct an evaluation. And you don't have a protocol, or at least not a published one yet. No, and we're resisting the use of the term protocol because it's, it's, it's not a protocol in that it's not going to be a peer-reviewed protocol with research permissions because this is not a primary research activity. We, we are developing a service evaluation plan and at some point that will be published. But in the meantime, we're also trying to push out the, um, the rules on care home visiting and work out exactly how they can be operationalized. And until you've got, until you've got your plan of operation, it's very hard to start developing your evaluation. And uh, the, these things, we really are co-constructing what we're doing, or perhaps more polite way of putting it is to say that we're building the airplane as, as we learn to fly it. And that's, that is the challenge of working in a pandemic. It's, it's, it's moving very, very quickly. We'd, we'd all love to have the luxury of saying, oh, we're going to have a pandemic in about a year's time. Would you mind writing a service evaluation plan or a protocol that might be used in the event that uh, a lateral test device is introduced into the community in, in, in this some future event? That, that's just not the real world and it's just not how it happened. Picking up on that about we'd all love to have had a year's, a year's um, warning on this, I suppose people will say, well, we did. We did know that at some point we'd have a pandemic. And, you know, one of the real concerns is that we had very um, inadequate preparedness in the UK. Um, you've, you've been involved in um, outbreaks around the world um, in Montenegro, Uzbekistan and in Sierra Leone with Ebola. Uh, so you you understand, I think, that there, there there could have been, you might argue, more preparedness for such a thing, for the need for mass testing of a population, even though at the time we didn't know what virus and what types of test. Yeah, I think the the concept of mass asymptomatic testing is quite a challenge, and it's heavily technology dependent. If we look at what worked in Sierra Leone, there were... Um, much better and much more localized testing sense, testing systems and processes put in place. This was for Ebola. This is for yes, this is for Ebola in Sierra Leone in 2014. But mostly, actually, most of the activity was, became coordinated in 2015. What was put in place was testing capacity within the community, and there was a very well. There was a good model of dispersed 
resilience with multiple multiple agencies providing localized testing and then variable levels of data collation uh, using a lot of actually using a lot of mobile phone text-based technology and it worked quite well we were up to the point of getting same day and next day testing by I think it was I think March or April 2015 but to start with we had the same problem that we've seen in the UK which was a five to seven day delay in getting PCR test results back and the problem there was exactly the same problem that we then saw in the UK which was during that delayed phase transmission continued and you couldn't get ahead in contact tracing so the big lesson that we learned from Sierra Leone was the need for rapid test and contact tracing the other thing that, that happened out there was they had what, what they called stay-at-homes which were what we we're calling lockdown and the stay-at-homes would last uh, sometimes two weeks and during that time contact tracing was able to get ahead of the the outbreak and cases fell but in that population people would then start to get hungry and there wasn't they wouldn't be working so there wouldn't be the money coming in so they, they had multiple small lockdown events but they did allow the contact tracing to get ahead and I think what what we've seen in this outbreak was the the challenge of setting up mass co mass contact tracing hasn't really yet uh, got up to speed to the point that we really wanted it to you could the ability to do mass asymptomatic testing in the community using lateral flow devices or antigen detection devices was always going to be subject to the technology and the technology really has until recently not been good enough and I'm not sure if it's 10 or 12 or 15 different technologies were appraised by Public Health England and really only one or two have shown much promise and the device that we're currently using we're learning about its, its uh, limits I don't I don't think you would have necessarily predicted that you would want to do mass asymptomatic testing until you understood how the disease is progressing throughout the community so with hindsight you could say we should have put plans in place a year ago for mass asymptomatic testing I'm, I'm not convinced that that you would have we didn't we didn't think about it in 2009 or 2010 um, in, instead then we relied on good respiratory hygiene adherence to adherence to social distancing this this virus this coronavirus is far more infectious and, and has really swept through the country in ways that we we didn't we didn't expect the other model or the other learning uh, people mention is the mass population testing that's been done in Slovakia with with the, the entire country being tested within a, a weekend and, and repeat testing as well what do you think um, we can learn from Slovakia what what is applicable to our situation and what is not applicable well I haven't perhaps paid as much attention as I should have to the situation in Slovakia the reports I have read did concern me in places because it struck me that some fairly authoritative processes were put in place to um, encourage 
people to participate. And I'm not sure that some of these strong arm techniques would be acceptable in the UK. Um, it struck me as a, a bit of a sheep dip exercise. It wasn't particularly targeted. It wasn't considering enabling key workers or protecting the extremely vulnerable. And I've said it, it didn't particularly target those with uh, those who are different wheelchair users that perhaps can't easily get to a testing site or ethnic groups that don't have a, gra a, good, a good grasp of the public health messages that we're trying to get across or who have concerns or suspicions about what the government's up to. And that's just not, it's just not the way we do things in our country. And I don't think it's the way that you get best engagement from your community. So, sure, as an exercise, very interesting, but I'm not convinced that it's the place that should be used as the textbook for how we should be doing it. You mentioned earlier about public health in action as opposed to inaction. I think it's important to <laughs> specify, clarify the difference there. But uh, uh, And one of the ongoing concerns about the way that the UK is managing this pandemic is a feeling that, that public health hasn't been um, at the forefront, public health on the ground, local public health, and that our public health leadership as a whole has been um, not as prominent as, as, as people would have liked. Has Liverpool taken a different model? What, what, what's the feeling that, that, you know, could this be a model for the rest of the country in terms of public health at the forefront? I think that's a very fair comment. There's, we've seen in social media and in mainstream press quite a lot of conflict from some um, authorities or pre past authorities in public health for what's going on in Liverpool. And this really saddens us because they really shouldn't be throwing rocks. We, we in Liverpool have a city that has some of the highest inequities when it comes to health um, in the country. And we've also got a very strong history of public health medicine both in delivering it at the uh, population level, but also in, in extolling its virtues through academia. And what we've done in Liverpool is we've set up a really good partnership between public health, national health services and academics. And I, I think that's a really good model. And it seems, it, it seems to work for us. It just saddens us that people choose to throw rocks or attempt to undermine the process uh, rather than giving us a fair crack at what we're doing. In terms of what should happen now, do you feel that the Liverpool pilot has given enough uh, comfort, uh, enough of a sort of positive cost benefit uh, to that other cities should follow on and take on this approach? I think it's too early to come to any conclusion. We've only just come through the first two weeks of the the mass asymptomatic testing process, and we're just about to start the SMART process. And I don't want to pre prejudge the outcome of any of that evaluation. As far as the cost goes, that, that it, it, I mean, genuinely is not our concern. The, the decision to spend the money and the decision to do this is a central government decision. 
So that takes the cost aspect away from us. And I'm sure that will be a topic of great interest for others who wish to focus on that and good for them, but it's, it's not our priority at the moment. So setting setting the cost of this aside, and, and, and that does need to be closely scrutinized, I'm not saying it shouldn't be, setting the cost aside, we are encouraged. We've, we've had a third of our population be tested either by PCR or by lateral flow. We've seen a really unusual phenomenon whereby the, the PCR uptake has actually more than doubled or in the last few weeks because of the public messaging and the activity we've seen. So a third of the population is engaged. We've interrupted, um, as of this morning, 2,989 positive cases have been identified, so we've interrupted transmission chains. We've learned how to bring testing into the most deprived parts of Liverpool. And we're going to learn if lateral flow testing can be used to keep emergency workers in their posts and keep teachers in schools and allow safe care home, safer care home visiting. So, so if you're asking me halfway through the evaluation, is this success? I'm fairly optimistic, but it'd be a bit rubbish if I said, oh, it's been a great success before we've even done our evaluation, but, but I'm optimistic. And when can we expect to see a, a report that people could use to make policy decisions across the country as a whole? That's a million dollar question. I, I, th I think it will be a matter of weeks rather than months. But that's a long time in an outbreak. And um, certainly no one, no one's shy of doing this work. And Callum, as a final question, what would you like to see happen now? Well, we're seeing it happening. We're seeing Liverpool have really low, really low community rates. And every restaurant in Liverpool, I'm told, is now booked up in the run-up to Christmas. Um, we're the only area that's come out of lockdown into a lower tier than what we went into it. We're seeing cases coming into hospitals starting to tail off and Anecdotally, my friends tell me it's just a little bit more bearable on the wards. So it would be quite good if people stuck with the regulations, if we could learn more about how to get testing into hard to reach areas, if we could keep our care homes from getting further outbreaks, and then if we could have a um, cracking Christmas, that'd be great. Callum Semple, thank you very much for talking to us. Thanks to Callum Semple, Professor of Outbreak Medicine and Child Health at the University of Liverpool. The debate about the pros and cons of mass testing will clearly continue. Please do send your thoughts via our rapid responses and I'll be back very soon with another of our second wave podcasts. Carl Friston is joining us to talk about the impact of the second lockdown in England and the three-tier system. So do subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts. And thanks for listening.